since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Bix Pod. And we are here to discuss one of the more entertaining history plays. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, Henry IV, Part One. Yes, which is uh, great. Like, it features so many of these great characters that have come to kind of define comedy and um, really just comedy. Let's, let's talk about Falstaff. <laughs> it's really just one character. Yes, it's, it's Falstaff. Falstaff. <laughs> but, I mean, Prince Hal, who's this, you know, famous character that... Um, yeah. Featured in three plays, the the two parts of Henry the Fourth, and then Henry the Fifth. Henry the Fifth, as Very he strong. comes into his own as king, and, and also Falstaff also is in three plays, yes. uh, the two Henry the Fourth, and then he got his own spinoff. Yeah, which is crazy. It's it's kind of nuts. So anybody who gives uh, you crap for your MCU style sequels <laughs> and spinoffs and everything like that, Shakespeare did it. Okay, and partly it was because uh, Falstaff was Queen Elizabeth's favorite yes. character. She absolutely fell in love with his antics, and so when the Queen says, "I really like that Falstaff." You write a play. You write a play. Yes, So we'll get to Mary Wives of Windsor eventually. Yeah, it's um, actually one of the next plays. Like, we do the two parts of Henry IV, and then Much Ado, and then Mary Wives Wives, in our chronology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll get there soon. Um, But yeah, it's a a great history play, which I think is kind of... Oxymoronic. To this point, has been an oxymoronic. Although Henry the Sixth Part Two, I remember when we read that, we're yes. like, "This yes. is a really good play." And Richard the Third is also yes. I mean, but it's hard to. I, I don't really classify that as a history play personally, mm-hmm. just because of how dynamic the characters are, and you don't really think about that when you're reading a history play. This play has has that too, where Huge it's way. it's yes, it's telling the story of the Battle of Shrewsbury, but um, it's doing so with some really clever uh, literary. Uh, techniques that mm-hmm. you know the doubling of, of certain characters um, the big overarching themes of like honor and what it means to be a king as Aiden mentioned I think in our last or two episodes ago um, that that's like a central question for Shakespeare's histories and that is really like at the core of the the conflict here in the story yeah it's just it's it's not just telling the story of these characters it's doing so in a very literary way that makes it fascinatingly interesting to read but it's also just an entertaining play there's there's yeah i mean you have falstaff being falstaff and if you haven't seen or read the play uh definitely we'll we'll, we'll get into why he's mm-hmm. such a good character but um then hal himself is is a really interesting character study yeah. because he's he's doing all these different things and he claims it's for some some reasons um but then he seems conflicted and then you get you get glimpses of his true character mm-hmm. maybe um <clears throat> But it's and it's all done in a very fun kind of whimsical yeah. way in a lot of in a lot yeah. of places. So and then you have Hotspur and all these other things. But yeah, before yeah. we get to any of that, yeah, it's Lindsay's turn. Yes, it is. She's very excited. I can tell by I'm the tone totally, of her I voice. I hate doing this. Thirty Whose seconds. Bright idea was this? That was I think it was mine. Uh, Thirty seconds. Henry the Fourth, Part One. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay, and go. So we have a battle that's that's happened. Um, somebody is mad. Hotspur of the Percy family mad. They uh, the king is not living up to his end of the bargain. So they decide to rebel against the king, and so they lead their armies towards the king in battle. Um, meanwhile, you have the king's son who is 
spending all of his time in East Cheap in London with all of his ragtag bunch of merry fellows, and he has to rally them in order to come fight in these battles as well. And hilarity ensues. And also bad stuff, because, like, it's a battle. But I, I, I think I'm going to make that my goal, is to end every one of my things with hilarity ensues. It's a bit of a stretch. Uh, well, the, no, in the in, in the East Cheap scenes, it's not. Yeah. No, that's, and, that is quite. And honestly, Hotspur is hilarious too because he's so <laughs> hot under the collar yes. that he's yes. he's he's incapable of like focusing. Like when uh, we watched the BBC production, yes, because uh, it's the only kind of standalone one. I, you can you can count like the Hollow Crown. Yes, and they have an the episode King. devoted to each yes. play generally, but it's yeah. it's condensed. Obviously, yeah. it doesn't quite hew to uh, the text the way obviously the BBC did. Yeah. Um. So we watched that version. And in that one, uh, the actor who played uh, Hotspur was just ADD to the max, like just fidgeting Piggott all the Smith. time. Last name was Piggott Smith. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, we'll put the link up in our yeah, description. But yeah, and so that that was you know he's kind of a ball of energy of of comedy as well because he just he in won't a way focus yeah. and he insults people <clears throat> and then he like backtracks and he's like, well, I don't know what I was saying, but I damn what he deserved it. Whatever I yeah, said yeah, to him, you know, yeah. like it's it's very uh, it's very comedic in that way as well. We've seen a lot of characters like Hotspur in the histories and in other plays, but but never quite as uh, exaggerated. Almost? Well, no, I, I he's he's aware of his tendencies yeah he's very self-aware yeah. and and it's very clear in the scene i'm thinking of the scene where um they go to owen glendower's um who i didn't even mention in my yeah yeah i didn't even get to the i didn't Welshman. even get to Jeez. the Welshman, but um they go to his castle or whatever before the the night before or, or two nights before the battle and um and he, he pisses him off and he and when Glendower goes away, Mortimer, the, the this Welsh king's son-in-law, is like, you really should be. It's like, yeah, I know, I know, but and like that's not something that I can recall seeing in any other character. Like when a when a character is in Shakespeare is very hot tempered. That's like their defining feature, yeah. and it is for Hotspur, but he's kind of. He's given more of a of a curve to his character in the sense that bit. he is aware of it, and and, and, I, yeah. and his other uh, there's other elements like we're going to talk later on about his relationship with his wife. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's given a wife and he's shown a relationship is mm. is kind of unique because the the other interesting thing about this play is that there's no there's no real like there's an antagonist in Hotspur yes. I guess but he's kind of the star of the show in yes. a lot of ways uh hal is kind of a hero but a reluctant one yeah and then you have falstaff who steals every scene that he's in so yeah, there's so, no individual nexus point for i mean there is it's all about hal essentially yeah. like everything is set up to revolve around him uh and his journey to becoming henry the fifth but which is fascinating in and of itself because the play is named after henry the fourth who's yeah. his father yeah but you're right. Like there, there is no central. There's a central driving story and plot and conflict and all that. But, but there's no bad guy. Yeah. Like there's no. Like you feel bad for Hotspur. He he yeah. raises a bunch of very valid points yeah. that that Henry the Fourth has wronged him and his family. Yeah. You can see why he rebels. Um. The the Welsh obviously have reasons for rebelling. Yeah. You know everybody in this thing except for maybe Douglas the Scotsman, yeah. who's just a bad guy. I yeah. guess. Uh. You know he's everybody else has reasons for what they do and they're yeah. very reasonable. They're very understandable. Uh. Shakespeare's not really playing favorites with this, and I think it works because Hal isn't a character that's ready to take a strong decisive not yet lead yet yeah exactly and and, and that's yeah. that's allows Shakespeare to explore some of the themes that we'll get into like readiness for kingship readiness for leadership mm-hmm. um and and maturity and and family and honor and all of those things come into play because 
it's you can look at it from multiple different angles. You can look at it in the Percy family. You can look at it in the the Lancasters with the the King's family. You can look at it with Falstaff and the East Cheap crowd. Um, you can look at it with the the Welshmen. Like there's a that's another thing. There's a really broad cross section of British society mm-hmm. being portrayed yes, here. Yes, um, So it's it's a it's a really interesting play. Yeah. So, so let's start off with some history. Yeah. The actual history. So yeah. um, as we covered in Richard II, I mean that was the. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you can go do that because that's talking about how Henry the Fourth came to the throne. Yeah. Henry deposing Bolingbroke yes. comes to depose the king with the help of the Percy family. So this yeah. is only four years after. Henry the Fourth has been installed as king on the throne. Yeah. So yeah, so it's only been four years, and the Percy family is now—they've um, been longtime allies of the Lancasters. They helped get him onto the throne, but uh, these battles that are happening are um, the king is starting to renege on a lot of his previous agreements, um, such as the ability for uh, warlords, because essentially the Percys are a powerful family of warlords right like well, this they're, is they're feudal they have yeah. their own lands and, they, and if they yeah. capture somebody in battle they they believe they have the right to ransom them and keep the money for themselves and the king is not allowing them to do that and this is what finally pushes um hotspur henry mm-hmm. percy over the edge and he decides to rebel and he gathers a bunch of his noblemen to um to kind of march against the king yeah. this all historically happened um but he was so the Percys were the uh, kingly family from Northumbria, uh, Northumberland, sorry, yeah. and um, that's where the Earl of the or- Earl of Northumberland had his army up in the north. Mm-hmm. Percy was down in the south with uh, the king, and then there was the Welsh army that they were planning on coming together with in Wales, fighting their own battles. But they thought if they came together, they could raise a big enough army to overtake the king's. Yeah forces that didn't work out for him it didn't work out no the king kind of cut him off at the uh, in the middle fought percy's army which is only one third of the total forces that they should have had at the battle of shrewsbury which was one of the the bloodiest battles of medieval england yep and yeah uh henry percy hotspur was killed and that's basically takes care of the entirety of this play because the second part deals with um future battles that are going to happen with the Welsh army and the the Earl of Northumberland I'm yeah. guessing so um so that's kind of like the historical basis for this is all very true and it's yeah. all and it it does stay pretty close to the history of it with the exception of the Falstaff character who well, even was kind was, of invented whole cloth but ba- based but, on yeah so some things yeah so let's let's talk about the characters yeah. and how they differ a little bit from history so I mean how We'll start off with him. He is the the main character, um, and he was you know well known as a rebellious kind of youthful uh, exuberant. Mm-hmm. Let's say uh, enjoyed partaking of the wine and other merriments. Um, I think the the chronicles used to say that he he was guided by Mars and Venus equally yeah. as a youth. Yeah. Um, so it's while a summary, yeah. while his father was alive, he was not. I think a lot of people would have said he was not kingly material. Yes. Um, so that that's an accurate representation yes. here because yeah. you do get him. You know, he's literally robbing people. He's, yeah. uh, you know, like he's he's not exactly uh, standing up for the king's law. No. Um, and and he's drinking and and partying and and hanging out with the east uh, east cheap. Is that the east, east cheap? cheap yeah. yeah, you know, patrons and stuff. Like yeah. there there is there's a man of the people in the sense of a man like the people. Yes. That he he uh, surrounds himself. Which with. I I as you were saying that I'm thinking. 
he wasn't brought up believing that he was going to be king. He was no. not a print, the Prince of Wales from no. birth. Um, his father has only just become king after deposing the rightfully anointed Richard II. Yeah. Um, so I, I can imagine that that would, you know, Henry was maybe, what, 15, 14 or 15 when when his father became king. Yeah, and so, all of a sudden you're going to be king. Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, teenage rebellion takes on a different <laughs> hue when you've been brought up believing that you're, you're, you're not royalty, but you're nobility, yeah. and then all of a sudden, no, you're the next in line for the throne. I mean, that might throw things into disarray. And I think... I, I, you know, if we were to psych- psychoanalyze him, that might come up, mm-hmm. right? Um, but he did change. And I think that was the thing that I, when I was doing research about the historical Prince Henry, um, he, his brothers, after he died, his brother, one of his brothers, um, commissioned these stories about him and that's where the, the, it was kind of imprinted that he was this riotous youth who transformed into this king it, it it almost does make the contrast that much more apparent because that and that's what Shakespeare does is mm-hmm. he shows this character from the age of what 18 or 19 rioting and robbing people in the streets mm-hmm. and then we see him as Henry V he's yeah. this great orator and yeah. you know commanding the battle of Agincourt his his forces in France so I mean um yeah, Henry Hal Hal is a great character to talk about on his own, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah, but very very interesting. And then he's obviously contrasted most yes. strongly with uh, Hotspur. So, um, as Lindsay mentioned, he was the the eldest son of the Earl of Northumberland, um, and he he was known as uh, you know the hot the Hotspur. He was the one who would ride first into battle, uh, angry, just ready to kill, um, and. Yeah, whether or not that that was every part of his personality in the play, that's what he is. He is yeah. defined as his name. Uh, he's not Henry Percy. He's Hotspur. He is he is the the fiery hot poker that's that's driving mm-hmm. the seat on. Um, so this is a this is kind of like his whole character. Um, and the fact that we get a more rounded version, I think, is mo- owing more than the history or any of the source texts it's probably just Shakespeare wanting this contrast of um you know you have Hal who's a 'er ne'er-do-well uh pissing off his dad by not doing much of anything and then you have Hotspur who's always in action always valiant uh even Hal himself describes him as the most valiant man in the field um you know he's always in action always doing what he believes is right and then you have Hal who's who's the exact opposite anything right until the end right and then they they have this meeting at the end and it's it's obviously a big deal Falstaff is an interesting character. Um, He was a fictional character, but was based on possibly a couple of different people. In the original text that was presented in the Stationer's Register um, when the play was first produced and put on, the name was Sir John Oldcastle, and that was a historical figure. He was someone who fought in... um, A number of... No, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm mixing it up. Old Castle was a historical figure. Yes. But his, a descendant, demanded that the name be changed. So when the play was then published, um, and in future um, performances, performances yeah. it was it became Falstaff. Falstaff. And this is referenced in in uh, at the end of um, the second part of Henry the oh, Fourth. Okay. Um, they say. They actually say like Old Castle is this guy and Falstaff is, is this, this guy. guy like they're, they're not, not the same. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is an interesting kind of side note, but almost a mea culpa in a way yeah. of like Shakespeare not wanting to piss off this guy who, like the the descendant, was a courtier, courtier and uh, 
Yeah, the queen and everything. Yeah, like yeah. a high-ranking guy. And so. Old Castle himself, the his, the historical one who served as the the source for Falstaff, mm-hmm. um, you know, was actually a good friend of of uh, Henry the Fourth. In fact, he uh, was killed because he he was a heretic, and he was a lollard. Well, that's what they called him. But yes. at the time, uh, but in Shakespeare's day, it would have been a very. Uh, prescient for people to think of him as a proto-Protestant mm, because mm-hmm. he wanted uh, the Bible in English. Yeah. He wanted to be able to uh, deliver sermons in Follow native tongues and stuff. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was, he was very much a, uh, uh, a kind of divisive figure in the sense that, cause he, he, he outright betrayed Henry V later on, yeah. uh, refused to stop his practices when the, the king instructed him to, um, and was hunted down and, and captured and killed. Yeah. He was burned alive, I think actually. Um, and, so you know, was he a was he a threat to the crown, mm-hmm. or was he a religious you know visionary who right. who saw through the Catholic the terrible Catholic Church, right? So uh, so to name him Old Castle would have yes. brought those things to mind. Yeah. Not only for his descendant, obviously, who would have you know not enjoyed him being just a bumbling kind of goof. That guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but and then you don't get any of those parts of Old no, Castle story no. at all. He literally is just a bumbling goof. But um, I think there was a subtext there if you did call him Old Castle. Yes. The, the audience may have even liked him a little bit more because yeah. he was this... A Protestant. A Protestant in a Catholic... Figure. Yeah, in a yeah. Catholic world. So yeah. um, I think that was part of perhaps... It could be, yeah. Maybe some rounding for that character as well. Yeah. Um, that, that gets lost when you just see him as John Falstaff. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other character that he may have been based on is... Um, Sir John Fastolf. Yes. And Fastolf, we have met before in yes, Henry VI. Six Part One, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Henry VI, Part One. Um, he was dogged throughout his life by uh, accusations of cowardice. He was knighted, but that knighthood was stripped after right. yes. after the battles um, against Joan of Arc because yeah. um, he survived somehow, and people thought he he was derelict in his duty. Yeah. And so he, he was dogged by these rumors. He, his knighthood was eventually restored, but he never really outlived that, that rumor. Yeah. And, uh, and that's how he's portrayed in Henry the sixth. The name was probably, I think in an early, um, the first folio, I think, um, the name is written as Fastolf. Yeah. Um, or is it? Falstaff. In, the character in Henry the Sixth was named Falstaff, like it was misprinted. Uh, I think. Okay, okay. I think that's how it worked. So it's possible that Shakespeare remembered that, and it just came out as fast as Falstaff, Falstaff like, instead yeah, of yeah, Fastolf. Yeah, yeah. But um, also, it could just be a play on uh, the uh, slang term for it being impotent. Yes. Falstaff. Yes. Your staff has fallen. Has fallen. Uh, yes. Either way, Falstaff is is this. As Aiden said, a bumbling goof who is really just, um, he acts as one of Hal's father figures in this play and is kind of weirdly a moral touchstone for for some of the bigger themes in the play. And obviously as his story continues, you get a lot more of that. Um, It's all kind of laid out to begin with in this play. 
The final character uh, that we wanted to mention was uh, Glendower. Uh, his real name, Lindsay. I'm going to butcher that. So no, you go ahead. Glendower, you said oh, it. That's how it's pronounced? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's spelled a little differently in our notes because obviously that's the Welsh, that's the Welsh spelling. Pre- yes, yes, exactly. Um, so he was, um, he, was a, he was a prince of Wales as well. Literal another, prince of Wales. Yeah. Yes. Uh, another interesting contrast there with Hal. Um, but yeah, he led a number of rebellions uh, and he was never actually caught by the, the English. No. Um, and he died in 1415. So he became a bit of a folk hero, um, and he's kind of a symbol of Welsh nationalism to this day. Um, I can't pronounce Wales in Welsh. How does it done? Simruk? Yeah. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. That sounds that, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'd, we'd say that in Welsh, but we'd yes. obviously fail. So, um, and, and here in the play, he's, he's very much, uh, he's kind of a, comic like he's a figure of ridicule for for percy the only time we really meet him is mm-hmm. is through percy mm-hmm. um and hotspur just makes fun of him because he's like well i'm magic and i you know the yeah. heavens were terrified the day i was born and hotspur's like no no that's stupid like that doesn't happen so uh he's supposed to supposedly had magic powers uh at the time people were worried well, about this and i think that's more just because the welsh were pagans yeah. right that yeah. just broad brush well, everything by that we time, hear most of them had been Catholic, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but when you think about the play, how they set up the yeah. the very first mention of the Welsh, it's it's the Welsh women have desecrated the bodies of Mortimer's army, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a horrible situation, and it's all because the Welsh are pagan, awful people. Yeah, not true. Yeah, and and I think that that um, Owen Glendower is presented as the leader of these mystical backwards people that's why he's he is presented as like almost like a prospero type figure but not with the the depth of anything he's just kind of this menacing magician and uh and that's yeah yeah i mean like when you really dig down and you realize that you know he's kind of like a welsh he's like another king arthur yeah but he represents for the welsh people what arthur represents to Britain, like as a a whole, because yeah. Arthur has kind of been adopted as the savior king of the entire British Isles, yeah. whereas Glendower kind of has that that when he returns, it will mean freedom for the Welsh. Yeah, you know, so there's something very potent about his character yes. and his name. So for him to be a magician is not really that much of a, a stretch, surprise. I guess, no, right? for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. For. I must tell you friendly in your ear. Sell when you can. You are not for all markets. So the first theme that we kind of wanted to dive into, Aiden's already kind of touched on a bit, is this this doubling of the characters. There's a lot of foils in mm-hmm. this play. Yeah. Um, and the, the most important one, I think, is is Hal and Hotspur. Yeah. Um, they're kind of two sides of, of the worthiness and honor coin when it comes to leadership and the throne. And that's mentioned a lot in the play. Um, well, and Henry the Sixth or Henry the Fourth, sorry, says yeah. so right as much. Exactly. Like, I wish someone had swapped our babies at yeah. birth. Because like, you have the same names. Like, his Henry should have been my Henry yeah. kind of thing. Because... Yeah. Um, Hotspur is so much more he appears to be much more kingly because he commands battalions. Yeah. And that in Henry the Fourth's eyes is all that's necessary. Yes. He doesn't see what we see of Hal, which is that diplomatic side. Yes. Um, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Yeah. But that's well, and, and Henry the Fourth's complete lack of 
diplomacy yeah. is what leads to this whole situation exactly. in the first place. So the yeah. fact that he he's just not willing to listen to anybody else. Yeah. He's very much a, a king's have the final word on everything. He doesn't brook rebellion no. uh, very well. At Ironic, all. considering that he, he became was a rebel. king because yeah, exactly. of his own rebellion. So I mean, yeah. There, so there, yeah. So for Helen Hotspur, though, it's it's very much a, a question of of who's understanding of kingship is is more valid and mm-hmm. whose whose way of uh presenting leading. themselves yeah. and and leading yeah is is more valid you get the sense that hal really does want to be kind of seen at least he he well he comes out and says i'm gonna appear like an idiot now yeah uh, so that when i do step up and do anything vaguely king-like people are gonna be like whoa wow, wow. he's so good yeah. so i mean and he's he, he's just great advice for life like just <laughs> just fuck it up from the beginning under and then promise over deliver under promise over deliver that's my exactly. life that's how i try to do uh and whereas hotspur is instead is like no i'm the best i'm like he's he's a cocky he's he wants so. yeah. he thinks he can do everything yeah. um and his when the the uh allies fail to show up he's he literally just says like no that'll make our victory so much more better yeah when, when you know we uh, if they could do this with one third their army imagine what they could do with yeah, everyone yeah. well we should just lay down and let them yeah have their way with us exactly and and obviously that's uh, not mistake. what happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um so i mean there's there's definitely uh a, a fairly nuanced i would say uh uh, look at different methods of leadership and, and kingship yeah. uh, between the two. Yeah. Um, and the play very much comes out on, on Hal's side, I think. Not only for well, yeah. the fact that he wins the yes. battle, literally, yeah. um, but I think you don't... If you just wanted to have Hal be uh, a goof and a ne'er-do-well, I've used that word a twice. Rogue. A rogue. A uh, you don't need to have the complicated relationship no. that he, then he has with his father and Falstaff. So, or even have Hotspur at all be presented well, as like an alternative if you just, to if that. If you just wanted to have uh, that dichotomy is is fine on its own, but yeah. it, then Hal has all these other facets to him. His relationship yeah. with his two fathers, you know, Falstaff yeah. and his and the king. Uh, his interactions with uh, the messengers and stuff mm-hmm. when he offers single combat. You know, like there's, yeah. there's all these other pieces to... Uh, Hal's character that get flushed out mostly through Percy but also through these other connections Um, and yeah we were that was the next doubling that we were going to talk about was Falstaff as you know Hal's surrogate father the one who's Mm -hmm. the old man who's around him and trying to lead him down a certain path yes the path is perhaps not the greatest (laughs) it's a path of lechery and drunkenness but it's fun but it's fun he has a lot of fun absolutely and uh on the flip side of that is is the king and that's his so dour and boring and yeah but he wants wants his son to behave in a certain way that Hal doesn't really feel he wants to yet but i think he recognizes he has to and he's getting his kicks in now so i mean that's that's kind of where hal sits in in between these two men and and he goes you see it he's he's very easy in his interactions that's something that hal has that no no other character in this play has is his ease of transition um, transition between, between these different layers of society i would say have we seen another character like that i don't think ever like yeah. yeah, like he he uses the well. We'll get to this, but he he's very easy, and when he he's with Falstaff and they're talking about like when you first meet Falstaff and there's this whole robbery thing that he's got yeah. planned, and then Hal and and Poins are gonna trick Falstaff yeah, and rob the robbers, just yeah. just to hear what story Falstaff Comes cooks up, up right? Yeah. 
Um, there's no hesitation. But then as soon as his father is disappointed in him in like the next scene, it's like, well, I'll be a better me. Like I'll, I'll do better. Yeah. And, and there's no, he earnestly believes that both of these men represent something that he, something about them is something that he should strive for. Maybe not entirely be Falstaff or entirely be Henry, mm. but he's, he's, recognizing the the traits that he admires yeah, in both, both of these men and he's able to relate to them equally i mean i i i agree i think there's there's a hint at least and i think it's it's one that's borne out in obviously what happens in part two in henry the fifth where mm-hmm. he does abandon false i yes. think that you could read the play as henry playing along with falstaff but not yes, you could. but really using him and yeah. and not viewing him so much as a father figure um viewing him instead as just a means uh, to an end yeah exactly yeah. A, a means to uh cultivate this bad reputation yes. that he wants to have yeah. um but at the same time he i think i think it's kind of telling that when he at the end of the play he thinks falstaff has died mm-hmm. in the battle and he he does a little tiny soliloquy over the dead man mm-hmm. and it's not it's not positive but his relationship with Foss, he's never really tried to pretend it's its a purely positive relationship. Yeah. It, it does feel like he's hes taking from Falstaff what he wants, but he's also, he does care for the man. Yeah. Um, even though he, he knows he's not really a, a positive influence on the world, yeah. let alone himself. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you could read it as, as less of a father figure, more of... Uh, more of just a, a buffoon that he, he abuses. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like to think there's there's some genuine care there. Yeah, I, I think it depends in the production. And certainly the BBC production plays Hal as a little bit more snarky and sarcastic with yeah. Falstaff. Yeah. Then, um, I mean, we haven't watched The Hollow Crown, but I remember um, we watched something where I... I, I mean, I I didn't read this play. I listened to it. I listened mm-hmm. to an audio play version of it. And... Um, and it was a little bit more sincere. Yeah. I think I think that's and that's the reading that when you just read it on the page, I think that's the reading that stands out is yeah. more than. But that's certainly a choice you could make. Yeah, definitely. Um, the last doubling that I kind of wanted to talk about is the doubling of um, Percy's Hotspur's wife, Kate, mm-hmm. and uh, Mortimer's wife. I don't think she's named, but she's Owen she's Glendower's that. daughter. Yeah. Um, they they kind of show two sides of what I, I've written in my notes is like wifely duty, but also companionship, love, and communication, which is mm, yeah, which is really definitely. interesting because um, Aiden, you mentioned already once that um, when Hotspur and Kate first, we have one scene where there's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of back and forth. Um, Kate kind of talks about um, how Percy's been having you described as like pretty intense PTSD dreams that he's like having night terrors and she's trying to understand what's going on with him and he refuses to tell her because women can't be trusted and that's another theme that we're going to get to is the role of women in this play but that scene is completely opposite to the scene of Glendower's daughter and Mortimer because they don't even speak the same language. They can't. But they're deeply in love. But they're deeply in love. And And she sings to him in Welsh. So even though he doesn't understand the language, there's still this sense of overwhelming love and devotion to Glendower's daughter. And that's not necessarily the case between Hotspur and Kate. Like, you can definitely see that as, like... um, 
and, and the BBC production that we watch does portray them as more... It's joking jo- yeah. back and forth. It's kind of like what we do. It's a little more like, yeah, like positive bickering kind yeah. of. Yeah. Like know. this is, they, they know that these are the roles they play and, and there's no animosity there. It's yeah. kind of, but in the audio play that I listened to, it was a lot angrier and there yeah. was a lot more. So again, like it's up to the director and how you portray that. But I thought it was really interesting that Kate is given all of these. She's given quite a lot of yeah, speech. speech yeah. And then you have the other wifely character because yes, there are only three female none. characters in this entire play and the third one is Mistress Quickly who is another... Also, just a source of ridicule and stuff yeah. for the men, yeah. So it's... But that's another area altogether. I'm sure we'll get into more of that with the Merry Wives of Windsor when we yeah. get there. But yeah. um, to have these two characters who relate to their husbands, it's the only scene of marital fidelity at all. Yeah. And they're, they're like polar opposites. So that is kind of... Well, yeah, at least they yeah. could be... They could be played that way, yeah. I mean, I think like the BBC production is interesting in the fact that they do try and make Kate and Percy kind of a, a, a happier couple. That they're they're kind of she's not happy in her role, and he's he knows she's not happy, and he he doesn't want her to be happy in that that domestic role. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. The text kind of leads it to towards more of a you know he's putting her in her place. Mm-hmm. The fact she doesn't back down. The fact that she does go with him to uh, she goes to well, Wales and meets Glendower and mm-hmm. hangs out there with him. Um, th- there is a there is a sense of a bit of positivity to their relationship in the sense that they um, they may not respect each other the way Glendower and his wife do, and they may not be able to communicate. Um, but they they but, they respect the roles maybe that they yeah and I, I well which is not really the same thing as no, respecting no and and I don't think she respects her role at all I think she wants to be an you equal know, an equal yeah. and and she's not and she's not and I think that's um, yeah again it's it's a good contrast to Glendower's mm-hmm. daughter because they are they do seem like perfect equals and they they love each other and they they yeah. they share this kind of love that's translated through the father and it's that's a whole other another strange bit yeah um, but yeah Kate is. Kate could be um, a kind of proto-feminist figure, and Percy's the fact that Percy doesn't just completely dismiss her. I think is has some. Well, some he kind of does. He He's tries, like, but I, then he but then he backs off. Well, and at the end, like in the BBC production, it's like a very romantic scene. Like he puts his head in her lap, and she's kind of soothing him, and then they laugh and giggle in their last few lines together, and it's very kind of like soothing. Um, but the fact that he in the play he does you know lay, lay his head on her lap and like there, there's still a closeness there that yeah. um i think obfuscates that that uh tw- that mirroring or twinning that, mm. that we're talking about just a little bit I, th- I agree i think you're now spot on of you know these these are two women who are uh contrast against each other but i think percy is still just they, they wanted to complicate his character a little bit maybe I I maybe know. we'll see Methinks thou art a general offense, and every man should beat thee. I think thou was created for men to breathe themselves upon thee. Another kind of interesting theme, it's not really a theme so much. Well, it kind of is. It's 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 a motif that kind of happens throughout the play, is, is uh, the stories that people tell versus the reality yes. uh, of the world that, that comes on them. Obviously, the biggest one is Falstaff and his story about the robbery that we've yeah. seen on, on stage. Uh, it starts then, off, well, there were two robbers. No, there were four. And then eventually there's 11, 11 or something. Yeah, but and then he also said he fought off 100 men. Yeah. And it was like, you know, he, he literally cannot get his story straight. Um, but I think he knows that the, what's interesting about Falstaff is that I don't think he thinks he's fooling anyone. I think he knows that this is the role he's meant to play. Yeah. And so when he says, oh, yeah, like, there there were nine. Oh, no, there were 11 or there were 100. Yeah. And, and his sword is all beaten up because he took rocks to it and, like, bashed <laughs> yeah. it up. Yeah. Um, 
he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He knows that he's it's it's almost like a a deliberate crafting of his own like he's he's his own pr person right yeah but he does such a shit job of it because it's totally unrealistic to expect this guy to have fought off but again that's his that's what he likes about himself is the fact that he exaggerates so much um so you know you have that you have that kind of extreme but there's also smaller stories that are told there's there's the one about uh that percy tells when he's in the audience of the king and he explains how after he captured all his soldiers, there's some the uh, the false or the Folger essay describes the man as a fop. So he's basically mm-hmm. like this kind of effeminate guy who comes up and is like, "What are you doing with your prisoners?" And Percy, because he's so angry and just finished killing a bunch of dudes, he's angry. He tells all this story, but then uh, it gets undercut by the the king who has heard his heard that own story of his own, and then Percy's own yeah. admission uh, that he's like, "Well, maybe that's how it kind of happened," you yeah. know. So th- this kind of gets undercut as well, um, even by his own his own stories are, mm-hmm. are not holding up. Uh, then there's also the uh, the description of uh, Hal jumping up on his his horse from uh, one of the messenger guys. I don't remember yeah. right before the battle. They're like, oh, he he looks like Mercury himself, yes. just winged it onto the horse, and he's light light as a feather, and all these things. And then there's the stories that don't get told, uh, such as the transmission of the the offer of surrender. Yes, if you surrender, we'll peacefully break it or not that the king offers they don't even tell percy that story so there's there's all these instances of uh people creating something that isn't quite what really happened yeah and or crafting the what they tell in order to make a reality come true exactly exactly and and then of course there's always usually in each of these scenes there's kind of a character who kind of forces the reality to come out like Hal in mm-hmm. Falstaff stories like no I robbed you yeah and there were two of us yeah and he's like well of course and then of course forces Falstaff into the yeah. hole I, I I know you as well as the man who made you I yeah. you know I would never hurt you um so there's a way of reality coming back to to bite and if it also you know it's it's most tellingly Hotspur mm-hmm. you know thinks he can win this battle mm-hmm. uh, without all the forces because he's so great yeah. and then the his, lies that he tells himself he tells himself to, exactly to make the so in a sense Hotspur and Falstaff are very similar in that way yeah. that um, the only difference is that Falstaff I think knows that he's doing this and yeah. I don't think Hotspur, not, Hotspur does no he and seems to believe the lies yes. whereas Falstaff knows their bullshit and doesn't believe them but wants other people to believe them yeah yeah so it's an inward versus an well, outward. And even the two meet in the end when Falstaff's like, "Oh, yes. I killed, I killed Hotspur, yeah. totally." And, and then, and, and then, but how? then tweaks the lie to be like, yeah. "Well, I gave him that stab wound in his thigh, which yeah. he did, which is, true. which is a post mortem wound, <laughs> yes. but it's not a lie." Yeah. So I mean, it's it, you're right. There, there's a lot of that, um, and it, it does come back. There, this the scene where the, the play within a play mm-hmm. in the Boar's Head, where um, Falstaff and Hal play Hal and the King. Yeah. Um, in order to kind of role play how Hal will behave. Yes, when he's when called he's, to the king. Yes, yeah. and uh, and and foreshadows the banishment of Falstaff and all yeah. of the other East Cheap crowd at the end of um, part two. Yeah, that's also a fiction. Yeah, but it's it's Falstaff describing himself in ways that um, are more laudatory. To the yeah. to the you know Bardolph and all the other guys that not Bardolph, yeah wasn't that Bardo Bardolph I thought 
I thought Bardolph was one of the guys that went with Percy. Maybe I'm getting them Yeah, confused. I don't remember it either. All the guys that are with Falstaff, <laughs> um, they're all, they can all be banished, but Falstaff, great Falstaff, you know, majestic, this man that, that is, you know, again, it's, it's the lies that, or maybe not the lies, but the, the, the narratives that they, yeah, they're trying to push. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, um, it, yeah, it's it's interesting. The other thing that also comes out of this is is the whole uh, reality versus counterfeit, especially mm-hmm. in the Battle of Shrewsbury is most yeah. pertinent when there's multiple kings and Douglas has killed the king and oh no, it wasn't the real king. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, Falstaff plays dead. He's counterfeit dead. Yes, yes. Uh, and then he's worried that Hotspur is also playing counterfeit. Yes. He's like, he'll be the better counterfeit than yeah, me. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's a whole bunch of that too where it's just like, even the character who's most, uh, well, I, I I don't know if he's aware of his own lies. Like like I agree, I think he is, but um, he's also a source of the most lies. Is is worried about being lied to? Yeah, it's it's a very uh, yeah multifaceted kind of connection there. Yeah, that that was true in yeah. the Battle of Shrewsbury. Um, the each side thought that they'd killed the leader of the other side. Yeah. And and so Hotspur's side, the, the rebels, believed that King Hal, Prince Hal had been killed, yeah. um, but in reality it had been Hotspur who, had, who yeah. was killed. And they called out, the, the, the armies called out and waited for the response, and Hal was the one who responded, and that's yeah. how they knew they won, um, which was kind of a turning of the tide because... Um, the Hotspur had a bunch of Cheshire bowmen. It was the first time that these longbows were used uh, on okay. English soldiers so, yeah, okay. by Englishmen. Yeah. Was at the Battle of Shrewsbury, and they 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 had more people, like the superior numbers, and they were winning for a lot of it. Hmm. Like the king lost a lot of a lot of his men at that battle, really? and even Hal was injured. Like he, yeah, yeah. he was very badly cut on the face, which is what the BBC production showed. Um, and he, it scarred him like yeah. he was, but, uh, yeah. So the, uh, that idea makes it into the play in this really fascinating way about counterfeits. And I have it down a little bit later, but like role playing, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it begs the question about who, not just who makes a better King, but is the role of the King a role that somebody has to put on Yeah, a role that somebody has to play? If Falstaff can put on the the airs of a dead man and be a dead man's counterfeit, and then have that that soliloquy where he questions what it means to be like to pretend you're dead, it's not really a counterfeit, and all of that stuff yeah. that he talks about, um, it's 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 really clever to take that idea of not only doubling but also mistaken identity almost, yeah. and to turn it into this like major theme for the play of counterfeits and roles and fact versus reality or or fact versus fiction i mean yeah fact versus reality is how fox news deals with things their reality versus (laughs) the fake facts i don't know making a political statement when i shouldn't be you're trying you're trying let's move on (laughs) the next major theme that is kind of addressed directly by falstaff uh, a couple of characters talk about it, but it's honor yeah. and the idea of what makes a person honorable. Mm-hmm. Um, Hotspur is honorable. Hotspur is someone who is seen as having an abundance of honor and Hal is uh, stained by dishonor because yeah. he hangs out with a disreputable crowd. Yes. And and that is, that is, if you 
ask anybody else in the play up until the moment that Hal commands the his battalion at, at Shrewsbury that's how you categorize them there's honor and dishonor and every character kind of falls on that spectrum with Falstaff being more towards Hal and uh, the king being more towards Hotspur uh but then you have, when Falstaff, der- and I thought this was so interesting because Falstaff is not someone you would consider to have a lot of honor yes. for the reasons that Aiden mentioned, his yeah. fact fiction yeah. mismatch. Yeah, his, his, his compass yes. of reality is, yes. is a little so skewed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he directly addresses this question of what is honor and comes to the conclusion that it's just a word. Yeah, it's, well, it's just air. It's air. It's yeah. literally air. It's something that people, especially in war, they put on these bad deeds in order to make them, to elevate them and make them more palatable because it's it's honorable to yeah. die and to fight in, in battle. Yeah. But is this guy honorable? He's just dead, yeah. right? Like he doesn't feel honor. Yeah. It's He's, for the living to, you know, he, yeah. he realizes the, the, the kind of absurdity of it. And I think that's why no other character could really have that moment. Because I think I think yeah. because Falstaff sees the the reality and sees the fiction that can be grafted on kind of grafted yeah. on top of it yeah. to make it palatable. He's the one who can see the reality of this bloody battle and the fiction of honor that's pal- that's put on top of it to make it okay. Yeah, and he can he can see right through it and be like, "This is garbage. This is not. It's it's nothing. This means nothing. I'm not going to waste my life doing this. I'm going to." You know, go live. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. Counterfeit my way exactly. out of this situation. Yeah, like, yep. and that I think that's like I asked that when Aiden and I were watching. I'm like, why is Falstaff the one giving this speech? And I yeah. think that's why. I don't know. No, I, I agree. I think that makes the most sense because I mean, you could see Hal giving it to, but he'd he'd be forced through his his kingship lens yes. that he has to put on to kind of say like, but honor's important. And I think that yeah. I think. It's it's really interesting. This is kind of a trilogy, right? Like this, yeah. like the same things are going to be coming back in Henry V yeah. in in two plays time. Well, not for us. It'll be yes. a couple more plays yeah. ahead. But um, the fact that this character is still grappling with the same issues that are raised in this play mm-hmm. um, two plays later is is quite telling because I think it's I think it's Shakespeare who's really grappling with this stuff, yeah. right? Like he, granted, Shakespeare never fought in a war and you know didn't have to face these things head on, but. Um, he would have been concerned with honor and what it means he wanted well, at this time. You know, this play was written in the late 1590s. He's applied for uh, a coat of arms for his family. Oh yeah, I absolutely. mean, there's there's questions of honor that are coming up in the regular average life of an average Elizabethan Definitely. And and, there were, and I mean, England didn't go to, to serious war. I mean, there, there was the, the Spanish Armada incident sure. and all that stuff. So there was there were people fighting in. And actually, uh, that was one thing I'd read a couple years ago now. Um, the the description that Kate gives of Hotspur's dreams right. uh, is very, very indicative of, of like you mentioned, Lindsay, like yeah. PTSD. Like it's yeah. a very serious kind of uh, and consistent um, depiction of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that Shakespeare included him in, he he either seen somebody who had this aff- yeah. affliction or at least knew people who, who had seen it up close. Yeah. Um, so I think the fact that he didn't necessarily fight in wars and stuff uh, yeah. didn't really impact his his moral questions and yeah. things that that are in this play and the the future. Plays. And the, and there are questions that I think we still grapple with today. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people look at at the sacrifices that are made during wartime, and we've been living in a constant state of war since two thousand one, when yeah, you know. Um, 
so I mean, when you when you talk to vets returning from battle, they they almost have to say that it was an honorable thing because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Uh, I think that I think that facade's kind of breaking. To a, a degree, of, yes. To, I think yeah. I think our our there's enough. Well, it's like Vietnam. Like there yes, were there were vets who came back from there and like that was stupid. And then there dumb. were those who were like, if it was stupid, why why did yes. I do all that? You know. Well, and and that's like, that's the question I think a lot of people look at because at least. At least Vietnam, there was like communism was was a yeah, bad thing. There was thing an idea that, that you yeah. could fight. Against. Whereas yeah. fighting against terrorism, the war on terror, is such a nebulous concept. Yeah. And and are you actually like you? Aiden's been watching, or you were watching. What was the show that you were? Oh, Generation Kill. Generation Kill. Yeah, yeah. where it's like it, that. That was the. the Iraq. Oh yeah, that was the Iraq War. It yeah. wasn't the first Gulf War. It yeah. was. So, the idea that that in that show the the main characters are seeing civilian bodies and they don't really understand what they're doing but they hate them and they yeah. want to fight them <laughs> and like well, it's, they, it's, it's almost yeah. like like you need an enemy to make war make sense so i think you're right in the sense that the people who who are clinging to honor now are doing so because otherwise all of this has been a lie yeah and that is something that Falstaff lays bare 400 years ago. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of impressive when you think about it. Well, I don't think the politics of war have changed much. No, of course not. You need a bad not. guy and you Of need course not. But I think it was much more force. like back then you went to war and it was like you didn't have a choice. Now there's no conscription. Like you. Well, but that's fairly recent. Like, it I mean, is fairly I'm recent, saying, but like, yeah. The I, war yeah. really hasn't changed much. I mean, like to quote uh, Fallout. War never changes. Yes, okay. The fighting never changes. But when you're fighting against a, a nebulous concept, like yeah, the war on like, terror okay. is not... Whereas okay, the but, war against yes. this guy who's rebelling against the king is Yeah, is, is, is different. a little more concrete, for sure. So it's... I don't know. But it's still... That, that question of honor still hangs over it. Okay. I don't know. That's... I, I no, just... That's, that's fair. Again, to make things overly political, maybe. Yeah, yeah just but. get in there. That's that's what we do. That's good. Um, we got a few more themes to mm-hmm. kind of blitz through here. I think leadership and what makes a good king. Aiden, you've said that's kind of the central question for all of the, the history, history plays. Play. Well, it seems to be. And, and it certainly seems to be here. Yeah. What I mean, makes a good king? Well, and not, not just what makes it... Well, it, it doesn't seem to be what makes a good king. It's what makes a good prince. Because... Uh, Hal and Hotspur are are not kings. No. And there's no question of... For a play about Henry IV, title yeah. character, again, Shakespeare histories, not the main character, yeah. not really important. And in this play, it's one of the few where the... I mean, it's his kingship is questioned, the validity of his kingship, yes. the fact that he deposed Richard II is raised. By but, the people who helped him become king. <laughs> yes, but, but, there's, but there's no outside force who's threatening to become king. No. You know, even Hotspur's, it's not clear well, what their ultimate goal is. I mean, they break up England into, into a yes. tri Like, there's Wales, there's going to be Southern England and Northern England, yeah. and they're going to have three separate kingdoms. Four kingdoms. There's three. There were three. Uh, there's Glendower, Hotspur, and Morgan. Yeah, but I thought they split it up into four. Anyway. Either way. Pretty sure it was three. But anyway. <laughs> I think what, but, but Richard II had named... Hotspur. No, Mortimer. He named, he named Mortimer, Mortimer as sorry. his heir. Yeah. So there, there is a question of of legitimacy yeah. there. Yes, but the the play as a whole, the themes of this are not concerned about no. whether or not Henry the Fourth is a good. No, 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 good, no. Is a good king. But who will make the better king following? 
him. Yes, exactly. That's the and thing. And that's so it's like yeah. you're right about princes, yeah. right? Who but but there's a there's like a gestating question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like like yeah. who in this stage cuz Henry and and Hal are the same age, roughly, I think. Yeah. I don't think that was true in real life. I think Hotspur was quite a bit older no. actually. But either way, like yeah. they they're presented as being in the, at least in the same stages. They're both Yeah. They're both potentially and even when Henry the 4th says he raises that question of should Hotspur be my my heir because my own son is not good enough. Yeah. Um and and Hal's own brothers are taking the place of him on yeah. various councils yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like Hal's just dropping the ball. Um so the question of legitimacy comes up. Yeah. And when that happens, you you are asking a question of who would make a better king yeah, in the future. For sure. And I, I think the the contrast is that there's no uh well the contrast with Henry the Sixth especially is that there's no contrasting characters to to show a different way of of being king. Yeah. Uh, there's no York and Henry the Fourth. Like there's no Ed- Edward the Third, right. Edward the Fourth, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, and Henry the Sixth. There's there's no uh, personification of that difference, except for in Hal and Hotspur. Yeah, and it's kind of like the personification of the potential. Yes, for kingship, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. like, and and that even is a false dichotomy because we know we are told directly that Hal is is deceitful in this way yes so his kingship is not like his father isn't even seeing the full picture yeah so the dichotomy is not the same and in the end what Hal has is much greater than what Hotspur has and that's the dramatic irony of it that the audience knows that Hal will come out on top because he's diplomatic and he's a good fighter and he understands the people and he's not hot under the collar he's you know very reasonable whereas Hotspur is just Hotspur. Hotspur, right? <laughs> yeah. He is his name. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that it's, that's why I put it as not just what makes a good king, but like the 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 qualities of a leader that each of these characters has. Because even though Hal is only 18 or 19, he leads this East Cheap crew. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he's Falstaff ringer, is yeah. old enough to be maybe even his grandfather. Yeah. He says he's 50 some or something. Yeah. Or 60 maybe. Yeah. Uh, three score or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, old enough to be his grandpa, but he's leading him. He yeah. is the leader of that group. Yeah. And, and he ostensibly, no, obviously, he's the better leader. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Once more into the breach, dear friends! Once more! I'll close the wall up with our English dead! So one thing uh, to touch on, and this is uh, touching on a point Lindsay made earlier about... Um, the, the various facets of society yeah. that are shown here. Um, how can it's, it's language. It's, it's how yeah. does house in particular, but it's really all the characters kind of portray this to some mm-hmm. way or another um, of uh, how can talk with the commoners in the common tongue. He can understand Falstaff's swearing, mm-hmm. uh, brooding language. He he works the with slang and, terms and the accents yeah. of and the insults. Like they have yes. a great thing where they go back and forth at each other yeah. with insults during the during the uh, the, the boars and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. where Falstaff tells a story. Um, so there's there's very much a, a sense of like the diversity of language available, mm-hmm. um, and you get that, and then you have the courtly scenes where he's talking with his yeah. father and he's very upright. You have Hotspur's angry. Um, justice-oriented language, yeah. Um, and 
then you also have what's really interesting is there's a scene in there with uh, where they're setting off before they get robbed. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some ostlers which are like horse stable people I think. Yeah. Um, and a few other workers. And th- that scene is just kind of thrown in there. You don't need that scene. They've already established that there's going to be a convoy of people coming and they're going to rob them. Mm-hmm. But they set up the scene uh, and it, it provides an opportunity to show this kind of like other world beyond yeah. the the high politics, beyond uh, the low drunkenness of just everyday people yeah. working and making a living and yeah. being like, oh, it's two in the morning. It's so early, but I got to get got to get to work. You know, got yeah. these people are leaving. So we got to ship them out and everything. Um, and it's. It's it's a great scene in this in the sense that it it, it kind of hints at uh, a at wider the, world a wider world that yeah. that we don't really get and then there's also of course um, the other interesting part of the thing which is the whole Welsh yeah exactly. uh, scene and yes. and the fact that uh, Glendower's daughter doesn't speak any English well and um, this is a time when when before Britain is the United Kingdom yeah, right obviously so Wales is part of England at yeah. this point, yeah. So, so this is just another subset. It's very. It reminded me of of um, to contrast with the scene in Henry the Sixth where he uh, sees the father who's killed his son and the son who killed his yeah. father. That is very prescribed. It's very much like the king is looking at the commoners and is kind of observing yes. them. Which is not the same thing as getting them speaking their own tongue. Shakespeare yeah. does this a lot when he, when, not a lot, but he does it when there's um, guards having a conversation in Hamlet before yeah. the the ghost of Hamlet's father appears. Um, or, But it's not like it's, you don't get the sense that these plays are always rooted in a reality that is English. Whereas this yeah. play does that. Very much. Very much yeah, so, right? Yeah. Like there's there is the courtiers and, and Shakespeare does that very well, portraying courtly language and mm-hmm. and, and there's commoners and yeah. there's drunks. And they all kind of you get the feeling this is a real place that's suddenly populated by real people. Yes. Which is rare. Yes. I think. Very. Even if Shakespeare is able to do this bits and pieces in other plays, I can't think of another play where it's all kind of Yes. And, and, brought and, together. And the fact that we have Hal kind of intersecting with yeah. all these different worlds is, is interesting. In fact, there was, um, there's a there's a small little bit where Falstaff, in the BBC production, mm-hmm. where Falstaff uh, put in like a, a rejoinder about uh, when Percy was talking to, or no, one of the, one of the other rebels was talking to the king mm-hmm. and uh, the king questioned something and, and Falstaff jumped in with like a, well, he, he doesn't know any better because he's so hot. He's so warm blooded or whatever. Yes. I don't remember exactly what yeah. it was. Um, that wasn't in the text in the Folger version. Oh, actually. Okay. Um, I think they were basing it on an older Cordo or something. Um, but it was interesting because Hal just shushes them. Yes. It's like these, these two worlds can't connect except yes, through, through Hal. Hal. So, uh, I think that's what makes it possible. He's like the Google Translate of this play, really. <laughs> exactly, um, and it's 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 good because it's 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 his character that that kind of makes that possible. And mm-hmm. so the fact that we're following him mm-hmm. is what allows us to explore all this. But in Wales, it's it's not that. So I think I don't think it's it's just it's just following Hal and seeing the different. Yeah, parts. yeah. It, it, there's a there's a stronger s- statement there being made about how language operates and how it allows communication and like Hotspur and the King don't hear each other. Right. They literally, they literally never 
directly discuss their their issues yeah. um, beyond the first scene where they're yeah. together. Um, whereas Hal is, as you mentioned, he's he's diplomatic. He's listening and talking to yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Welsh are doing it even without speaking the same so, language. So, and it makes me wonder, like, I haven't read part two, so yeah, I don't know it. How I'm expecting this is this is me putting a prediction out there. <laughs> yeah. Bix predict predicts comes back. <laughs> um, I'm predicting that there will be a scene between Hal and Glendower. Yeah, or something where where the language suddenly is Madison, not yeah. yeah where it comes up. Yeah, but what I love about all of this is that we we know because the plays have already been written. We know that Henry V is going to happen, and we know that he's going to have that scene the night before the Battle of Agincourt yeah. where he pretends to be his yeah of his own soldiers and just yeah. goes out and hangs out with and them. And has that language in yes. hand, just ready to talk to them. And yeah. that is why Hal is such a fascinating character because you see this character was was well thought out from the beginning. Yeah. That this stuff comes up in the very first scene mm-hmm. and carries through, I'm, I'm assuming it will carry through part two, right through to the end of Henry V. It makes him one of the, he's a, He's a dynamic character who has this this fixed touchstone of, of diplomacy yeah. that underpins everything he does, and that's what makes him well, an effective king. And it goes all the way to his marriage to yeah. to the Catherine. Yeah, of Catherine. And, yeah, so yeah. where they literally don't speak the same language, yeah. but he. But that's a beautiful scene. It's yeah. it's a wonderful scene, and yeah. and language is going to come back there absolutely again. So that's that's why I'm going to be very curious to see how part two picks up with that great segue into our last theme which is gender um the women in this play as i mentioned there are only three but they're all kind of put in as um symbols of uh disorder or um threats to stability in any way yeah um that's especially true of kate you you kind of get that laid out explicitly Mm -hmm. when hotspur tells kate that women can't be trusted so i'm not going to tell you what's actually happening with me Great basis for marriage. Um, <laughs> Definitely. But Mistress Quickly as well is kind of like she's she's the tavern owner. She's the one who's going to come in and ruin Falstaff's day Fine, because yeah. I bought you those shirts <laughs> and and you gave them away and you owe and me you, all this money and you're not going to pay me. And yeah. he's she's a threat to the stability of his crew, yeah. right? Um, and she's kind of a shrill, in at least in the, the BBC production, yeah. she's a very shrill, overbearing figure. Yeah. Um, she's just, it's its oppressive femininity. It's not something that, that livens up the place, right? Yeah, but then you have Glendower's daughter who yeah. is, you know, the opposite. And I, I again, I, yeah, I think you're, you're, well, you're yeah. kind of getting to the right point a couple you know, Points ten ago. minutes ago, yeah, <laughs> uh, there where you know sh- there, it is a contrast. It's mm-hmm. it's a woman who's maybe accepted her role as mm-hmm. the soft singing. Um, well, I don't even need to talk to you as long as I shower you with affection. Yeah. Type of woman, and yeah. then there's quickly and Kate who are um, who are a little more. They're independent. They, yeah. they They don't. They they're not going to play that role at yeah. least. So, and that, I mean, if that's how we're going to read it, then, I mean, that's something we've seen all the way back to Katerina, going back to Two Gentlemen of Verona, with um, the the female characters bucking their prescribed roles Mm -hmm. and not really fitting in unless they wear men's clothes as they do in The Merchant of Venice and then suddenly they have agency. But in this play, they, they, there's no room for that and that's fine. It's That's not what the history plays do. No. But there's still a, a chance for Shakespeare to put in a couple of different types of feminine characters and and kind of show how they interact in this very much 
men's world of war and yeah. and battles and honor. Yes, without the Joan of Arc yeah. curveball right. that was only in the one play. That's, yeah, well, which and historically yeah. it was yes. one of the few times, right? So yeah. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So for today's ancient bickerings, we decided to look at the sincerity of Prince Hal um, in his dealings with Falstaff. I think it could be read either way that uh, Hal is either very sincere in his affection for Falstaff um, or that he is simply using him as a means to an end to um, affect the opinion of his future kingdom yes the, the people subjects the subjects yeah, that's yes. the word i was looking for is future <laughs> subjects um and and i think I, if i may go first by all means i think he's very sincere i yeah. think that my my initial impression so this is the second time i've read the play um i definitely got the sense that he is uh this relationship started in a place of possibly started even before he became Prince of Wales. Yeah, yeah. Right? This was, you know, he was 13 years old and hanging around the tavern and met this old man who told him stories. And, yeah. you know, like any old, any grandfatherly figure who pulls a shilling out from behind your ear yeah. and makes you feel special, that's Falstaff, right? Yeah. And I think that that is not something that how he's smart enough to do it, but I don't think he's cruel enough to do it. I think when, when how eventually turns on Falstaff and and banishes him from his court, it's not because of a lack of affection. It's purely um, pragmatic. He has Mm. to be a king now and he has to divorce himself from from that. So in that sense there's there it's I'm sure that it that it the how that I know from the play. Yeah. I think it hurts him to do that. I think he's very sincere in his approach to to Falstaff just because I don't think you can be someone who navigates this world without a big heart and, and an understanding of how to relate to people. So I don't think he does it cavalierly. I don't mm. think he's he's malicious in his interactions okay. with Falstaff. That's you know yeah okay that's just my opinion yeah i mean I'll, I'll i'll grant you that i don't think there's there's too much um malice malice there what i will say is that i think he's no i will say there is malice there because he's calculated this it, mm. it, it is it is forethought he knows he is going to banish falstaff at some point in the future i'm not saying he doesn't enjoy the attention and the the fun that they have together but in the back of his head, he knows this is not going to last because I am getting rid of this man at some point in the future. And he says it in in mm. this play. Um, he's more upfront with it, obviously, in part two when he actually gets rid of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and in uh, in Henry the Fifth, he I think he has like a one mention, one line mention that like yeah, because Falstaff has died already. Yeah, he died, and he's like, he, oh, too yeah. bad. Yeah, and then he just kind of moves on. Like I yeah. I don't think <laughs> I, I I agree, but I also think it it it, it pushes. Uh, Hal into a, an awkward place because he does the same thing with his men in Henry V. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like maybe this is less of a, a bickerings about this episode um, and more of the character, the character in general. Yeah. <laughs> but it's in uh, in Henry V he, he kind of comes out and says like yes it's fine to ask all these questions about what makes a war righteous and do the soldiers like the fact that he has those conversations yeah. uh, is, is very kind of showing of, of a mind with empathy and with yeah. care for his, his uh, his soldiers and his subjects, 
but at the end he's kind of like no none of that none of that's right it's it's not a it's not on me like he he kind of admonishes himself grant i haven't read him absolve himself yeah uh he he uh i haven't read this in in a couple of years. So maybe I'm misremembering Henry V. But yeah. I remember uh, when I did uh, watch the, the, the play last, um, I remember thinking like, wow, he kind of comes off as, as a bit more of a dick in this version. And again, that's well, that's one of those yeah. things like, it's like his admiration for Falstaff in this, in this play. It is really up to the production. Yeah. Like, does he say, I do, I will, uh, with a joke when he says, I'm going to banish you, like when yeah. they're doing their back and forth as, as the play and when he's pretending to be king. Mm-hmm. Um, is he... Is he playing that for fun? Is he just like, oh, I, I'll, I'll banish you for sure. Like, ha, ha, Yeah, totally. Ha. Yeah. Or yeah. is it like, I do, I will, which is how the BBC did it. Yes. And it was very, like, foreboding and it was mm-hmm. it was almost scary. I think that it, there is that room there. But I think the fact that every uh, – when I was reading the Folger essay on the on the play – it's kind of taken as a given that this is this is a signal of what's coming. Right. So if you have that in mind, can you view him as someone who's not going to hurt and he knows he's going to willingly hurt Falstaff? I don't know. I, I, I just, think it, I just it makes think it hard. it's hard to, to like a I, I want to like Hal so much. Yeah. But I know that he does shitty things, and especially in Henry V when he but, has the... But he's the, king, you know? Like, yeah. Like, it, it's hard. Like, because it... It's hard to do the right thing if in your own life, I think it's it might be easy to do the right thing and not betray people and not hurt them. Yeah. But when you're you're responsible for five or however many people were in England at that time, probably six. Five people? No, six million or oh, something. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the whole of England's in this five playhouse. Five people. Yeah. You can have them over for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so I think when you have those larger responsibilities... Yeah questions of morality really become hard it's 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 like in war if you if you're if you order someone on to capture that beachhead and they all die is that on you or was that the the guy above you who told you you need to capture that beachhead and you you're the one who selected the people to die like there's all those questions really come out and we'll talk about that obviously in henry the fifth a lot but um it's it's hard you know and so is is there malice there maybe not personally like you said but professionally as a king can you separate those but he's not a king yet he's still a princeling he's still you know and he's, and still he's 18 yeah. and he's hal and yeah. so like Just yes like yes of course he has oh i knew you were gonna do that <laughs> i knew you were gonna bring that up aiden has this thing where he's constantly prince harry hal since like oh we my start, God. since we read henry the fourth in university i'm like He's just like, like our Prince Henry. How married Meghan Markle? I'm like, no, no, he didn't. He's but like he did. Hal dressing up like a Nazi for Halloween. That's yeah. just what he's doing just to like sandbag Hal. it. And that's then, right. And now uh, look at him. Now he's woke and he's living in Canada. He's okay. Woke. He doesn't. He lives in Los Angeles. Well, whatever. Now. He was in Vancouver for a bit. So I'm Victoria, just saying. Victoria, you don't even know. Whatever. My goodness. That part Read over there. Hello, Canada. Well, Come on. Shush. Anyways. He's our how. But anyways, I continue. I don't even remember where we were I don't even about. remember either. You totally derailed my whole thing. This is what bickering is about now. Uh, is Prince Harry uh, Hal? No. Yes. No. Obviously. <laughs> the Duke of Sussex. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, I don't think we came to any kind of con- no, consensus. No, It's hard. It is hard. It's one of those questions that um, we're, we're talking about how uh, is and sincerity so if, now yeah, we're not talking yeah. about no that, that <laughs> one's easy because i'm obviously right <laughs> whatever so. but anyway um his uh i think that 
I think this may be a question that we need to revisit once we get to the end of Henry V and we yeah. can start we can start looking at his character as that as an arc because I do think when I'm looking at the the chronology um like these three plays were written probably very contemporaneously. They're yeah. written right around each other. So this is something that was planned. This is not like Henry VI where they jumped around. It was written in this order, more or less, very close to one another and yeah. interspersed with Merry Wives of Windsor. So this was this was like a story that Shakespeare was thinking about yeah. for this period of time and writing these plays very closely together. It's easier to trace a thread of like a common thread yeah. through this character. Much easier than than which is really interesting because I don't. There's no other character like that. None Shakespeare's. No, world, you can't obviously. look at Henry the Sixth as the same character in all three of the parts. I mean, you, you kind of you kind of can like like Hollow Crown season two that we watched and talked sure. about. They they tried. But it's but hard just, because there's... the source material is so different, yeah. and and at that early stage, it probably was written by more than one person and there's the hands of many authors yeah. in there. Yeah. Whereas you this, can't even this look at like, like like Richard the Third, who appears in the yeah. Henry the Sixth plays, is not the same Richard the Third that no. appears in Richard the Third. No. Right? And so it's it is hard to to trace that that line. Yeah. Whereas this one Henry's, it feels much more yeah. like it, yeah. Prince Although we haven't read we've never seen or read I, part I think, two. So. I think we did read part two. Because no, I not. I remember reading the scene. Maybe we just read the scene where he banishes Falstaff. Yeah, possibly. You in our Shakespeare that. class, because yeah. I do remember uh, Dr. King talking about that. Yeah. Our lovely professor. Yes. Um, anyway, that's the end of our discussion for today. Do you have anything, final words you want to add? Or Nope, that's all for me. Um, next up, we have acting in Shakespeare. Yes, very very much looking forward to re-listening to that one as I edit it, because it's my turn to edit that episode. Edit that one? Uh, yeah, so we recorded that a little while ago. I'm very excited to share that with you. And after that, we're doing part two. Um, and then following that, are we doing, I, th- I believe it is, um, the, the Hollow Crown. We're going to be doing the Hollow Crown after that. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, which will be the like the point. historical, a historical look at these events and these characters, um, using the the Hollow Crown as kind of our touch, our touchstone yeah. for that. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that because that's uh, Tom Hiddleston as, as Henry the Fifth as yeah. Hal, which will be really go good. through the whole journey. Yeah, it'll be interesting to um, see. Yeah, and I can't remember who plays Falstaff. Is it a famous? Actor? You would recognize him, yeah, but okay. uh, younger than I expected. Okay. There is another. I think it's in the. Is it the one that the Kenneth Branagh version that Robbie Coltrane plays, Falstaff? Oh, I don't know. But that's just Henry V. So Falstaff. He's not in that. No, but I think they, they did. I think they something? did bring him. Bring him in. It's been so long since I watched that one too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, that'll well, be good because that's a good, a good version. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw Henry V. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. Jude Law is <laughs> Jude Henry Law V in him. London when we were there. Yeah. Anyway, that's this it is for, uh, this is it for us today. Yeah. So um, thanks for joining us, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll look forward to the other, the rest of the Henriette and uh, more the Falstaff to come. More yes. Falstaff, yes. Not impotent. No, we're not talking about impotence here. Staffs will not fall. Just fall stuff. The character. Stop you can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, 
We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Bixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.